0: This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org.
1: Good morning again. Good morning to all you online folks. It's quite a crowd. Happy interdependence weekend. Today I wanted to talk about Zen and work. If you hang around a Zen temple, even casually, it will quickly appear that work is a regular feature of Zen practice. Last Saturday, some of you were here for one of our regular work days, where instead of a talk, like we're having now, um, instead we gather to maintain the temple through working together, mostly in silence, on a variety of tasks. Last week, we worked inside because of the heat, and the whole place, I am happy to say, got a real top-to-bottom cleaning and maintenance, we changed the AC filters, we emptied closets and reorganized. Um, This actually prodded me to think about my own closets and then I backed away because I don't have a sangha to help. Um, (laughs) We worked inside um, also doing things like reorganizing our library. We had books that were shelved, the Zendo was thoroughly cleaned and so on, right? We, We really gave the place a good going over. And every weekday, if you come in the morning, we do about 10 minutes of temple cleaning before we leave. Those who can stay uh, for an extra 10 minutes do that. So we kind of do a quick maintenance of the temple uh, every, work day, every weekday, Tuesday through Friday. And during one of those little micro cleaning periods a long time ago, someone said to me, just turned to me and said, Zen is nothing but housework.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and when I say that to people who are familiar with our way. Sometimes people chuckle like they just did. So Zen students sometimes don't think of work as the real practice. Right? It's like the real practice is in here, sitting, listening to talks, participating in ceremonies. But work, which in Japanese is called samu, is one of the four elements of formal practice that were established by our founder, our Japanese founder, Dogen, Zenji, who lived in 13th century Japan and who founded Soto Zen, which is what we are practicing. So the four elements, in case you're interested, were work, along with Zazen or Zen meditation, Teisho which are Dharma talks, uh, given by a teacher, and Dokusan, which we sometimes call practice discussion going to a teacher for an individual meeting uh, to get some feedback (laughs) on your understanding. So those are the four elements. Work, meditation, listening to talks. I'd include study, also studying uh, the sutras. And meeting with a teacher. And it's the place of work in this system that I want to talk about, especially today. I think our attitude about work you know, in our lives, carries over into the way we kind of approach work, uh, even in practice. You know, we work, we say, we work to make a living, and we live for other things. (laughs) Very often, this is our attitude. We live for vacation. We live for days off. We say, we're off. Ah, What a relief. Or we look forward to finishing work, getting off work, so that we can go do what we want, or enjoy, or other things that we need to do. But there are exceptions to this attitude even in our everyday culture, and it's not just among those who love their work and actually live to work. And I think of artists, for example, and and other people who really, you know, their work is their life and it's, it's what they enjoy. And I, I wanted to share the work of an artist. I know several of you are artists. This is an artist and an activist whose name is Meryl Laterman Eucaliz. I ran across her work a few years ago. And uh, I wanna tell you a little bit about her and her story. In the late 60s, she was a working artist, married and with a child. And she found that she was dividing her life into art and everything else, which was mostly domestic labor, right? because she had a young child. And later, <laughs> after she had uh, kind of resolved this division, she said, "I learned, I realized that artists like Jackson Pollock, Marcel Duchamp, and Mark Rothko didn't change diapers." <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so she, she really felt separated from. Right, Some of you who are parents, maybe this is resonating with you. So she kind of had an epiphany as a young married woman with a child who was an artist and apparently not getting a lot of help from her partner, from her husband. And in 1969, so the end of the 60s, she wrote something that she titled Manifesto! Exclamation point, Maintenance Art. And in it, she distinguished two paths for artists or for any human being, one she called the death instinct, which is characterized by separation, which is, of course, suffering, right? It's the very, uh, she she wasn't a Buddhist, she isn't, she's alive, Uh, she isn't a Buddhist, but separation is why we suffer. Separation, following our own path and doing our own thing until death. The second path was what she called the life instinct, a kind of integration or unification, the maintenance of the species. And by that, she didn't just mean motherhood. She didn't just mean continuing the species biologically. She wrote, after the revolution, who's going to pick up the garbage on Monday morning? You know, and this reminds me of Buddhist books with titles like uh, Jack Cornfields." Um, After the ecstasy, the laundry, you know, similar kinds of things. Like there's an after here that people kind of think, and then what are we going to do, right, after this peak experience? So in the 70s, and she sort of made this happen for herself, in the 70s she became the official artist in residence of the New York City Department of Sanitation, right, otherwise known as, you know, the people who pick up the trash, And um, she held this position for decades. And I don't think she was compensated, right? But this was kind of a mission. She wanted to find a way publicly to bring forward her understanding of work. Work and art as the same thing. And one of her projects was called Touch Sanitation Performance. And this took place over a year. It was a kind of performance piece. From 1979 to 1980, which was not a great time in New York City, by the way. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the history of the city, but right, not a great time in the city. And in that performance piece, in that work of art, she set out to shake the hand of every sanitation worker in New York City, which is, you know, five boroughs, lots of people, lots of streets, lots of trucks, many workers. 8,500 handshakes. And to every worker, she said the same thing. Thank you for keeping New York City alive. And for her, you know, labor and garbage were life itself. They were living. You know, in this attitude about how we often undervalue physical or manual labor is also something she was trying to get to. You know, the workers, uh, the 8,500 sanitation workers, were kind of mystified why do you want to touch me? I'm filthy. I stink. You know. Why do you want to touch me? But as the news of this art spread, people really it kind of transformed them. Right? So, you know, this artist kind of spoke to me. Um, her realization that she was dividing her life into the nonstop and all-consuming tasks of daily life, and what seemed to be the more authentic and valuable or preferred work of the artist. And in seeking to break down the distinctions made between work and some kind of practice, in this case her creative practice as an artist, and her great effort to really see and acknowledge work, I felt that this artist's expression is nearly a Zen teaching. And not least because it expresses great understanding of reality and also great love. She pointed at something that's important for us. Our practice can run the risk of seeming to privilege Zazen, so-called meditation, as the practice, as I said at the beginning, or the real practice, or some such thing. But the notion that only sitting Zen, seated meditation, is the real deal, misses the mark. And that is why Dogen had so much to say about work as an essential part of practice, or indeed as we'll see in a moment, that work is practice, along with the other things we think of as formal practice. So in this sense, work is not work, as we usually understand it at all. So to better understand this in a a Zen context, I'll spend a little bit of time on describing work in in Zen temples, not just here, but other temples. And the place of work in the structure of monastic life, which is not what we do in Austin Zen Center, although we do have some aspects of our life that are very similar to what happens in a training temple, a monastic setting. So in a residential, large, I should say, residential training temple, even though there's a lot of zazen and the other items that I mentioned, work has a large role to play. Um, There are no janitors in a Zen temple, right? It's the sangha that maintains the temple. So there's soji, like our daily period after meditation that I mentioned, and uh, in which, you know, everyone spends about 10 or 15 minutes, that's all, even in a big temple, on what we call cleaning, right? And if you've ever experienced this here or somewhere else, some other Zen temple, you know, everyone acts together cooperatively and without preferences about the task, and we try to work without talking. Right? This is, uh, again, soji is a different word than samu. It's technically cleaning rather than you know, work in general. And so this is a regular scheduled activity in all Zen monasteries. And you know as you exit the zendo, the work leader, who is Chris here, stands right in front of you and whispers a task and you just bow and do it, right? Yes, thank you, and you just go do it. And so this comes even before eating breakfast in a Zen temple, right? You meditate, you go straight into work, and then you get to eat. And I'll have more to say about that in a moment, too. Um, And this is also true of Japanese grade school. There's no janitor in a grade school in Japan, either. The kids clean the school at lunchtime. It's part of what we call being a student or going to school, right? It's not separate. There isn't anybody else cleaning up your mess. (laughs) And so this is part of Japanese uh, culture as well. So here at Austin Zen Center, we have uh, tried to practice the same things to the extent that we can. We have no janitor. We maintain our practice home ourselves, right? This daily with this daily soji, and it's surprising to many people, you know, that even working together for a brief time, there's this focus and industriousness, and sometimes even joy, (laughs) love, that goes with just doing some physical task wholeheartedly together and the thought will then sometimes arise why can't work of this time kind right simple manual unskilled work always be this way right like why can't I do this at home (laughs) why can't we always do this and if you're new and you haven't experienced what I'm talking about or you don't usually stay for it I warmly invite you to try it out Um, And we also have these regular temple work days like the one that was announced for the 30th. It's another way to experience community and a different kind of practice. This is following the path that Merle calls the life instinct. You can experience this for yourself. During a retreat, a Zen retreat, there's often a work period in the afternoon where for like an hour, or more, we do the work that would seem on the surface to support us to practice, right? So there's the work, we do it because it supports us to practice. But that's not really a correct understanding. It does support the ordered environment of the retreat, right? We clean the bathrooms, we empty the trash, we sweep and mop, and we clean the zendo. Um, The general term for work carried out over a longer period and from which we get the term from the loose jacket and pants that some of you are wearing, like our Eno is wearing, this kind of set of uh, clothes, is called uh, after this term. The term is Samu, and the clothes are called samu a, right? Work clothes. <laughs> very comfortable, very easy to move in. In the longer retreats we have, that period of over an hour uh, does the extended maintaining of our environment. Depending on what is needed right? We might weed the garden or sweep the walks and so on. So it's not just supporting the retreat directly. If you do a so-called practice period, uh, two or three months of retreat at a Zen training temple, uh, that kind of work, the afternoon work period, can be up to three hours long. So it occupies a very large part uh, of the day, of the regular day. And in that kind of setting, kitchen work is especially important. Everybody has to eat, and we're constantly preparing food, cooking food, putting away food, planning the meals, right? Um, anything uh, that supports actual life, again. So we have these two things. We have soji, this daily short burst of effort, and samu, work in general. Um, And I was surprised to find out, in reading Robert Aiken's uh, book, The Mind of Clover, which is an extended study of the precepts, the Zen ethical uh, precepts, I learned that samu, this word in Japanese, is made of two characters, um, originally, of course, from the Chinese. So the first one, sa, means a work, a production, like a work of art, (laughs) or it can mean a harvest, Right? It's something that you do and accomplish. And mu, in this case, means to devote attention to. But also it means a duty or an occupation, something that occupies you, or even a service. And this mu is also used of a sutra service, like we just had. Right? And Aiken Roshi uh, says this is really the occupation of monks chanting the sutras. Generally, lay people don't get to do that. We do, because we, we do a kind of monastic practice. So work service, Samu, could be thought of, as he suggests, as work sutras. Right? And he also says uh, that the characters that make up Kinhin, which is the walking meditation that we do, uh, sometimes, not on Saturdays, but there is this walk, slow walking meditation that we do between periods of zazen, he says that that can be read. The characters can be read as Sutra walk. right? So everything we do is enacting the sutras, which are like the Zen scriptures, the teachings, the written teachings. So I didn't know any of this when I was preparing this talk, and I found that really uh, interesting. So we could say that activity, walking, working, enacts the teachings, the sutras. So work is a sutra. It's a teaching. It's an expression of the truth. In fact, one thing that distinguishes Zen monasticism from the practice of monks in the so-called Theravada traditions is that monks worked to feed themselves. So in China and Japan, this idea of feeding yourself and not relying on the Sangha to feed you emerged. So instead of relying entirely on donations of food and money uh, from the Sangha and from patrons, Chinese monks established this other way, which we continue. In this older tradition, the monks are supposed to practice, are supported to practice by the lay community, so there's a separation there, and the lay community acquires merit by supporting the monks and thereby hoping to attain a better rebirth. And so there's no Sanskrit term from which the Chinese and Japanese word for work derives. There isn't this sense of work as enacting the teachings, work as enacting zazen, in fact. So Zen developed a different way of supporting monks, making them self-sufficient, and changing their relationship to lay people. But also, Zen came to express true understanding through all activity. And uh, so I'm going to tell some stories about Zen now, early Zen. The first reference to work, to Samu, in the Zen tradition is in the Platform Sutra of the sixth Chinese Zen ancestor, whose name in Chinese is Hui Nung, some of you may have heard of him, or Daikon Eno in Japanese. And he lived mostly in the seventh century. So four or 500 years before Dogen, our founder, our Japanese founder, there was this Chinese uh, ancestor named Daikon Eno. And he was an illiterate, they called him a barbarian from the south of China. And when he first encountered his teacher, who was the fifth ancestor, uh, he demonstrated his understanding despite his lack of education and the fact that he wasn't even a monk yet. He just went and found this teacher and said, I want to be your disciple. So he was, said, he was told, okay, you can come to this monastery, but go do samu. <laughs> go do work practice. Just go and ask for an assignment. And... Um, so what he did, what he was told to do was to sweep and then to pound rice or process rice, which is, you know, physical labor. And he did that for months, hulling rice by hand. And, you know, he was not even a novice monk. He was the lowest person on the totem pole in the, in the, uh, uh, in the, in the monastery. And, of course, he became the sixth ancestor, so he actually, despite all this, inherited the Dharma from his teaching. And He's a very important uh, person in our lineage. After he became abbot, eventually became abbot, he carried this rice-milling stone around with him for the rest of his life. That was his anchor to understanding this work that he was doing. So this may be a clue uh, to the importance of, of that Dogen attaches to work, right? He lived much later, as I said. And this story about the sixth ancestor uh, dates about 100 years before another Chinese ancestor that I want to mention, uh, Bai Zhang. He's not directly in our lineage, but he's, we've, he's come up in the last couple of weeks, strangely enough. His name in Japanese is Hyakujo Ekai, and he lived in the 8th century of, this, of our common era. Um, and it is from Bai that we have the monastic Zen regulations for temple life and the model of work as practice. And there is a famous story about him. When he got old, quite old, he still insisted on going out to the fields to work with the monastic community. So by this time, they've established that, this idea that they should grow their own food, Right. And um, these are the fields that the monks depended on for their food. They also accepted donations, but they grew their own food. And his disciples hid his tools, so he could not do this hard labor. So he went to get his tools, and they weren't there, and he went back to his room and shut the door. And the monks wanted him to rest. Lunchtime came around, the mealtime came around, and he wouldn't eat. He said, I have no virtue how should I make others work? And he said, a day without working is a day without eating. Right? So he was demonstrating this close connection of work and sangha life and livelihood. That's a very famous story. A day without working is a day without eating. So as I mentioned, Dogen himself wrote about work practice quite a bit, and he considered it one of the four essential practices. And he set up his ideal monastery... And he created his own guidelines, which are called shingi, for his monastery, as Bai Zhang did, following in the footsteps of these uh, Zen ancestors. And he created, as part of this model for temple organization, six offices, six positions, which are called the Roku Chiji. Um, and these will sound familiar to you, perhaps. We, mo- we mirror them as best we can. Uh, One was the tsusu, or the director, we have a director. (laughs) Uh, One was the kansu, the assistant director. There's a fusu, or a treasurer. The ino, or supervisor of the meditation hall, and the monks, uh, or the practitioners. There's a tenzo, the head of the kitchen. And there's a shisui, or work leader. Right? So we have as many of these positions as we can. And Dogan Wright an, wrote an entire chapter for the tenzo, and only the tenzo, right? The, the head chef of the kitchen, not for the abbot, not for the eno, not for the director or the treasurer, right? You guys figure it out. The tenzo. Um, and in that, he tells stories of his encounters with. Tenzo's in China. He went to China to study and then came back to Japan. And one of them stands out for me. Many of you will have heard this story, so I hope you don't mind me telling it again. Um, this uh, one that stands out in particular uh, echoes the story about Bai Zhang, who would not work, right, without, if he couldn't work, rather, he would not eat without working. So Dogen is practicing in China. He's in a monastery And he encounters a Tenzo one hot day after lunch. And the Tenzo's outside, and he is in the courtyard spreading mushrooms out to dry, right, large quantity of mushrooms. And uh, he doesn't have a hat on even. And Dogen tells us he's 68, which doesn't seem so old to me now, but anyway, it was 68. (laughs) And according to Dogen, his back is bent, and he has these white shaggy eyebrows, and he looks like a crane, right? A white crane. And Dogen asked him, having found out how old he is, why didn't some attendant <laughs> or layperson do the job instead of him? Why is he doing this hot work in the hot sun? And the Tenzo said, others are not me. You know, and this reminds me of Bai Zhang who insisted on doing his share of the work with the community, right? No one else could do his work for him. And Dogen really expressed in, his, in this chapter his respect for the Tenzo's dedication. It made a big impact on him. He was quite young, very vigorous. He made this treacherous trip from Japan to China. And here's this old man, you know, with this attitude. And um, so he said, you know, well, that's very admirable, but um, maybe you could do this work, and, you know, when it's not so hot, right? <laughs> when the sun was not quite so hot. And the Tenzo replied, what time should I wait for, right? Me, here, now. (laughs) So Dogen went off thinking that the job of Tenzo expresses what he called the essential function. I'll come back to this in just a moment. He also had a second encounter with a Tenzo. So this is a different story, related story. So this time he's on a Japanese ship and he's docked and he's waiting to disembark in a Chinese port. And a Chinese Tenzo came on board to buy shiitake, mushrooms, from the Japanese crew, right? He He heard that there was a Japanese ship in the port. He said, ah, maybe they'll have mushrooms. So Dogen engaged in a similar dialogue, expressing his wonder that the Tenzo was making a 20 mile, more than 20 mile round trip from the monastery just for mushrooms. He left after lunch and he was returning immediately because he didn't have permission to go away overnight. Dogen said, Venerable Tenzo, in your advanced years, why do you not wholeheartedly engage the way through Zazen or penetrate the words and stories of the ancient masters instead of troubling yourself by being Tenzo and just working? What is that good for? right. And uh, in any case, the, tre- the Tenzo tried to set him straight, saying, oh, good fellow from a, for- from a foreign country, <laughs> 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 young whippersnapper, <laughs> you have not yet understood wholeheartedly engaging in the way, and you do not yet know what words and phrases are. Right? So he didn't just say, you don't understand work, but you don't understand the teaching. Later, Dogen encountered the same monk, and they were able to have a clarifying conversation Dogen asked, what is wholeheartedly engaging the way? And the Tenzo, who by then had retired and was about to return home to his village, he said, in the whole world, it is never hidden. Sometimes it's translated as nothing is hidden. So these encounters had a major impact on the founder of our school of Zen. So in the fascicle which Dogen wrote about the position of the head of kitchen, the Tenzo, which is called the Tenzo Kyokun, or instructions to the cook. He details how the cook should go about the day and also the effects of cooking practice and the attitude and understanding the Tenzo should have. Right. So the Tenzo, this seemingly menial position, is actually, I think, after the abbot and maybe the eno, is the most important position and given to usually a senior practitioner, somebody who really has a great understanding already. It's a teaching Position. So the attitude and understanding are expressed by Dogen as the three minds: magnanimous mind, parental mind, and joyful mind. Right? And he says, joyful mind rejoices in being a human being able to practice. And in the case of Tenzo, also to be able to offer food to the community. This is a joy. It's not drudgery. It's a it's a joy. Dogen says. You should engage in and carry out this work with the vow to include 1,000 or 10,000 lives in one day or one time. This will allow you to unite with those virtuous karmic causes for 10 million lives. Right? This is a huge opportunity. He says, the mind that has fully contemplated such fortune is joyful mind. And then there's parental mind, or nurturing mind. You don't have to be a parent (laughs) to have this mind. It's the mind that considers the three treasures of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha as if they were one's only child. Or you could look at your child and say, you're the three treasures. (laughs) And magnanimous mind, or great mind, is as big as oceans and mountains. Again, Dogen says... Carrying half a pound, do not take it lightly. Lifting 40 pounds should not seem heavy. Balance. Right effort. Now, though these words are aimed at the Tenzo, Dogen also says that the abbot and all the officers, those six officers, should practice with the three minds. We should practice with the three minds. And he concludes the instructions to the cook like this. Quote, On this single occasion, you must write the word great. You must know the word great. You must learn the word great. You should know that former great mentors all have been studying the great word and right now freely make the great sound. Expound the great meaning, clarify the great matter, guide a great person and fulfill this one great cause for Buddhas appearing in the world. So the point is this. There is no such thing as practice apart from work or from everyday activity, from any activity. Complete identification with activity is merging with all phenomena You know, and despite the emphasis always given to sitting meditation, we should not see work as supporting zazen. We don't work to maintain the temple for some practical reason. For example, because we don't want to pay a janitor (laughs) to do it. Work is alive. It's as alive as zazen and as fully expressing of the truth. Sometimes there's talk of doing things mindfully, in the kitchen or anywhere, and there's so much about mindfulness in our culture these days, especially in relation to work and daily life, right? Do things mindfully, we're told. You know, sometimes the instruction about SOGI is please work in silence to support mindfulness or to support the concentration or focus on work rather than, say, on socializing. (laughs) But we should take care not to think of mindfulness like with a capital M as a thing, as something we bring, something we bring to something else. That's not what Dogen is telling us. In his book, The Light That Shines Through Infinity, uh, Dainan Katagiri, who who worked with Suzuki Roshi to establish the San Francisco Zen Center, uh, Katagiri writes about not forgetting mindfulness, but as understood through Dogen. And he invokes Buddha's Eight Great Awarenesses, which was Buddha's last teaching before he died, and also Dogen's last teaching, or on the great Eight Great Awarenesses. And Katagiri says, the peace of mindfulness is the state of settling the small self, right, our usual individual self, in the big self. Big mind is what Suzuki Roshi called it. Category says, you can aim at this target every day in whatever you do. <clears throat> For example, the moment when you open a door is your time an opportunity to tune into the rhythm of the life of the door. The door is alive. <laughs> so when you encounter a door that you must pass through, don't see the door with your limited understanding and open the door carelessly. Open yourself to the door with your limited understanding. I'm sorry, open, uh, sorry, starting that sentence again. Open yourself to the door first. Then open the door. Pass through and close the door with careful attention. When you deal with a door like this, you hit the bullseye of the door with one stroke and become you as you really are. This you is not the self you understand egotistically. This you is not you. Not you is the you that has merged with the door. At that time, you experience peaceful spiritual communion with the door. You are there, but you are not only you. You are also the door. So you are you and also not you. (laughs) Because you are you and the door. He's turning this inside out as much as he can. He says, when you forget yourself and just open the door, at that time your life is really confirmed and supported by the door, by your circumstances, by the people around you, and all beings. Then your life is broad, universal life, because it contains not only the door, but also all sentient beings. Very, very Dogen esque, I think. So we say that Zazen expresses itself in everything. This is the point of a second encounter between Dogen and the Tenzo when he asked, What is wholeheartedly engaging the way? And the Tenzo, who had retired, said, In the whole world, it is never hidden. Right? Everything you do. Everything is a door, or we could say, a gate. So, if you're assigned to dishes during an all day sitting, it's not some kind of punishment. <laughs> it's the gate in front of you. Nor is it more Zen, somehow, to be a doan, because it's Zendo practice, you know, than to clean the bathrooms. And we can also discover beginner's mind and setter the small self on the big mind by just accepting a task and following the instructions. Merge with the door. If you're in the kitchen and are instructed in kitchen procedures, don't think, "Ugh, you know, I know how to use a knife. (laughs) You know, I found this a challenge when I was uh, at and you know, to submit to yet another run-through of kitchen procedures from someone often decades younger than I was, right? You're just like, yes, thank you. I will do it this way, right? Even your response to the instruction can liberate both you and everyone else. Aiken Roshi goes so far as to say, without work, without Samu, Zen Buddhism would be a cult, isolated from daily life. Samu is the extension of sutra services to the garden, the extension of meditation to its function. And it's, you know, a category, very poetic on this point. And he says, when you get up in the morning, you don't get up by yourself. Your getting up is activity that connects all beings, influencing all beings. So it must be activity that is confirmed by all beings and helping all beings. This is complete mutuality. So my conclusion, the obvious punchline (laughs) to this talk is everything is Zen. A day of no work is a day of no eating. You must actualize practice to experience the essential great function. You write the word great in everything you do. Everything matters every single thing you do and it expresses your understanding it's a great way to experience your true understanding which is the you that is not the small you every activity is not doing something with something else called mindfulness or as something else called work you know in the whole world nothing is hidden as norman fisher says we express ourselves fully when we stand, or sit, or lie down, when we serve tea, when we eat a meal, or when we go to the toilet. The whole world and the whole of the past and the future expresses themselves through our activity, Even past and future come together. Not just the past, the future is here, now. Be here now is to express past and future, included in this moment. That is the meaning of only now. What time should I wait for? As Dogen's Tenzo asked, all time is right now and right here while we're sweeping the steps. Thank you very much. There, questions? Comments? Anecdotes? <laughs> Pat? Well, thank you for the time. One
2: of these things I've learned <laughs> but I also wanted to mention that there was a, you just talked about that woman, uh, the artist in New York. Yeah. That uh, there's a choreographer in town. I think her name is Allison Orr Who orchestrated the choreographed dump uh, truck dance uh, back in the early two.
1: She did this too, Merle ukuleles
2: Oh, maybe she was Allison's inspiration.
1: Maybe, yeah.
2: It was very. Uh, interesting and she did be spying and they had rehearsals but what she really did that was so wonderful is she made a movie of working with a sanitation workers and it was just a beautiful movie she got very involved in them you know, with people and they all had a part in the movie I mean it was a documentary but it was just it was just very moving and I think that it affected the sanitation workers in a very positive way.
1: Yeah, thank you. I didn't know. So, this is a choreographer, I don't know if you all could hear it online, but this is a choreographer, a different kind of artist who. Yeah, I think she's
2: the Marcus so, you White.
1: Know, sort of yeah. Yeah, there's, a, there's a, whole, a whole catalog of Merle's work that shows all the projects she did over that decade or more, 20 years with the sanitation department in New York. And one of them was these kind of set pieces of dump trucks, I mean, garbage trucks, and also plows, because they plow the streets during snowstorms, which is a, you know, major undertaking in New York, <laughs> doesn't always go so well, um, yeah, and they, they went along with it, you know, they, they, they sort of said, okay, you know, we'll do this, and uh, it's all documented in photographs, and yeah, very interesting work, I think. Thank you, Pat. Elliot?
0: Yeah, so a lot of the work that we do in the temple, like Shodin or
3: some of it is is either directed, or like when I do it, I don't have to think as much, if that makes sense. I'm following instructions, and yeah. it kind of helps contain, extend that, that zazen, letting thoughts pass. Um, in daily life, my job requires quite a bit of very intense thinking, right? and so that gets a lot harder to, s- or for me personally right now, to sit with that here and now, rather than getting caught up in, in all those thoughts. So I was wondering if you have advice about that.
1: Yes, yeah, so much of what of the work that many of us do in, at this time is head work, right? Sitting in front of a screen, often by ourselves or in a cubicle or, you know, basically plugged into the computer, to the screen, and not really interacting with the real human beings who might or might not be around us. Um, I was always curious about my own self. I would sometimes go to a coffee shop with my with, with my computer. I don't know why that helped, but there was something about... I could concentrate better when people were around me, even if I wasn't interacting with them, oddly, unless they were really noisy. <laughs> oddly enough, that was a way to somehow like calm myself so that I could focus on what I was doing when I spent all my time doing that. Um, I think that it is a real challenge when we're up in our heads like that, doing that kind of work all the time to settle into our bodies and there, I think our work is merging the gap that we feel between our embodied selves, our, our living, breathing presence, and this very busy thing up here. And so there are different things that you can do. You can, you know, you can, there are settling practices where you can set an intention to be present. And, you know, notice when your, hand, when your fingers hit the keyboard. Notice how much force you're using to type. Notice when you're distracted. You know, just, you can say a short, Gata, or kind of setting of an intention. Dogen left us once for absolutely everything, including brushing your teeth and washing your face. You can make up your own. Now as I turn on this computer, I am saving all beings. And then try to find that, you know. When, now as I log on, you know, may I, whatever, set an intention. And then the other trick, which is really hard, I think, is to set it down when it's time to set it down, you know. Take a break in the middle of it. Take take five minutes, an hour. Stand up, stretch. Um, set an alarm if you have to. Um, go for a walk. Sit five minutes as zazen at your desk, you know, if you can do that. If you're in a position to just be quiet and then come back to it, you know. But, yeah, try to get back into your body. It's, uh, yeah, not so easy. Anyone else? Any other questions? Yes.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to share something. The way that we met when we first met was during a a meditation retreat, and we were both assigned to a a food serving crew, and (laughs) so I had this wonderful opportunity to get to tutorial completely without talking about anything else other than doing this work together. And I really appreciated your clarity, and your direction, and your demonstration during that experience. I got to feel. My own resistance to getting instruction. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I, I don't get to meet people that way you know, in my daily life. Yeah. I usually don't meet people through just doing something together with them in a really focused way. So I appreciate that. that, was that
1: yes, thank you. I had forgotten about that. <laughs> it's, yeah, that was in Houston you know we we do have functional speech when we 're working, so there will be some instruction in words you know that has to that kind of almost always has to happen, but then we try not to talk and in a meditation retreat, we really don't talk we can't talk you know we just don't and so you do meet people completely differently than through words uh, and it's a very interesting experience um, I can remember uh a member of your sangha of the Houston sangha came to a session at Green Gulch when I was there and had been there for two months on a the last practice period I did and I could tell this person was extremely nervous and so I tried to just be very you know like present with them and and afterwards when we could talk this person told me how much it meant that I met them just you know kind of saw their fear you know making a mistake if you don't know the Green Gulch uh Zendo. It's huge. It's really big. It's this former dairy barn. And, you know, you walk out there with your, with whatever it is that you're serving and you're like, where do I go? <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's like, am I going there or there? And it's, it's, uh, it's it daunting the first time out. And um, anyway, and I felt, you know, like, oh good. I met I Met the moment you know in, in seeing that and not o- over underdoing my response to it, because I've certainly had my moments of fear and still have them you know always we are dealing with our you know inner state and you know later on, I got to know this person and found out a little bit more about who who they were in the conventional way, but in that moment, all I saw was a person who really wanted to do a good job and was very devoted and like wanted some direction so <laughs> it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I this have. morning
2: on my way over here, I stopped and got a chai oh, latte. Mm-hmm. And I celebrated with the barista when she made it perfectly, and she was so pleased with it. And we joyously celebrated my chai. and anyway, I thought <laughs> it went perfectly, and I was like, "Is she working? I mean, you know." And then there was the giver receiver.
1: The gift. gift thing, yeah. No giver, no yeah, receiver. It was just no a gift.
2: wonderful moment. Appreciating her small gift and exchange, but she had done her job perfectly.
1: I once got a a coffee drink that was not cheap, that was yeah. not what I wanted. Didn't didn't yeah. get and I I tried to find some gratitude anyway, you know, for this person yes. who had not made my coffee the way I thought a five dollar coffee yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, ought, to, yeah. <laughs> ought to be made. And I didn't say Could you make that again or any of? I just you know thank you. Mm. It's got caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) There's caffeine in here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Manisha first and then.
3: Could you talk a little bit about like work and resentment? (laughs) Because I feel like I mean there's kind of like an ongoing thing at least for me personally where. um, The only thing that's coming up right now is like we all get together for a soj, and then some people leave they can't stay for ten minutes. And there's this feeling of like I'm staying and they're leaving, you know, or like just you know being a woman in tech and seeing like women get two percent of venture capital like funding and like seeing how like so many female entrepreneurs are so hardworking and smart and have such great ideas or like being in a community like this and just looking around and seeing like some people work harder and some people work less hard and it's just, it's, it's challenging, I find it really difficult and I don't like the feeling of resentment, I don't wanna, and intellectually I can understand
2: like everyone is doing the best that
1: they can. Sometimes they're not. <laughs> <laughs> we always say that, you know, as a g- generosity spirit, everybody's doing their best, I'm like, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I think the first thing is noticing that quality of mind that you have and saying, this is not really how I want to show up in the world. This is not the way I want to feel, like feeling separated from other people, feeling judgmental, right? And you jump on that train, whatever train of thought, right, it is, or emotional train. Then you start riding it to all of the, you know, outer boroughs, right? So then it, get, then it gets into, like, "It's women are not treated right, right? They don't get what they deserve. and." It's so it it becomes it feeds itself, which is not to say you're not right to notice. You know, like, hey, I'm in this way, I'm in this career, and I'm not getting, and I and other women who are just as good as anybody else are not getting the support that we deserve. Notice that and say, okay, that that I don't have I don't have to get on that train right now. What about what's right in front of me? This job. And you know, it took me. I, I, there was a time when I too felt like. These people who are really anxious about getting out the door, you know, exactly on time, is it really that important? And then I had a, a big reveal with a friend who said, if, if the announcements in the morning go two minutes longer, I don't get to go to the bathroom before I have to jump in the car and be at my job exactly at eight, you know. So they're like these real world circumstances for some people that, that for those of us who don't have those schedules we can't appreciate or don't realize. So I think those three minds, you know, try to be generous with everyone and then generous to your own feeling of like, "Ugh, I feel put upon, you know? Some who really don't work as hard as other people. That's also true. I mean, there are people who could put, maybe be more, put out more effort and don't, you know? Compassion. (laughs) <laughs> compassion 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 for that feeling like this person isn't really you know doing it and then compassion for them like you don't know why they're not working as hard as hard but it's all about measuring and comparing which I think is a real harm hallmark of Zen to get us past measuring and comparing ourselves right there, there there's only you no one can be you right No one could be that other person either. And every person is sort of like an iceberg. You see that what's just floating on the top. You don't see everything else that's, you know, under there. That's, That's part of what they are. Or everybody's like a mountain. You cannot take in the whole complete mountain. You just see the slope right in front of you. So be generous, take a breath. Do your work, and maybe that will inspire that slacker, right? You know, <laughs> to fold those towels more neatly or, you know, scrub that floor, right? It's, it's, amazing the, the, uh, it's amazing the effects we have on each other, right? So, do you know, just express confidence in the practice by doing the practice and see what happens to you and to everybody else. And just make friends with that feeling. It's like, oh, here it is again. I see you. Now I'm going to go, you know, cheating. (laughs) Uh, There were other hands. Uh, Jose first and then in the back.
2: Um, One thing that I think about a lot when I think about work is results. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We work, we work, we work work because we want to see the results of our actions uh, manifest in the world in front of us and then you can say, oh, we did a good job. Um, and, uh, and I'm familiar with other traditions that uh, try to teach us to distance ourselves, our work from our results uh, and just to focus on our work independent of how they may come out. Um, uh, but, uh, but what I'm gathering from today's talk uh, is that, uh, is that uh, work also inherently is a form of self-expression uh, and also of uh, interconnection with others. Uh, so maybe uh, you could uh, expand a little bit more on the relationship between uh, the Zen understanding of work uh, and our distance from our results.
1: you know Zen is full of things like um, effort without desire don't attach to results, but in the actual point of fact, there is a schedule bells ring you 're supposed to be in the Zendo or the tenzo's supposed to have the meal ready to go right If the tenzo like i 'm not attaching to the results you know <laughs> it's like there'd be people in here with their bowls out and where 's breakfast right. You know? <laughs> So it's like a balance there, too, I think. You know, if you're in a job where people are measuring your results and that determines whether you get advanced or keep your job or whether you get the grant that helps you to keep your job or whatever it is, then, you know, you have to pay attention to, is this working? Am I get you know, is this the right approach to help me to stay in this livelihood, right? Or help others to stay, like, you know, many of us have teams that we are, that depend on us for funding or whatever. I know that Jose happens to be an academic, so it's part of what's behind this. Um, but in another way, right, while you're doing the effort, it's just effort. Right? so try to stay with the effort and not in that moment worry about the future. Like the, the future unfolds based on this moment. It's, it's already here. So you, know, you, you apply your effort, you don't get all the grants, you don't get all the you know, things we all have disappointments and what we think of as failures. But we keep going. Right? We keep going. So I think while you're doing the activity, do the activity, and you can always, of course, evaluate it and say, "Ah, I didn't. I didn't get that grant finished. I have to get up early tomorrow and submit it on time." Whatever you know, it is. you have to track to some extent. That's living in the in reality, in the relative world, and in the absolute world, it's all just an expression of big mind, <laughs> total function. Yes, in the back.
0: I'm wondering if you can talk about the word great again. Great. I, some examples are, that have been shared,
3: um, sweeping or making a child latte or whatever our daily jobs might be, is it about making whatever activity that we're participating in great?
1: So the question is, uh, this word great that kept recurring, Dogen, you know, making everything great, <laughs> I'm not sure it's about quality, like, you know, it was a great latte, but, I, but I'm not sure that, it, that, you know, it's like how good it was according to some measure, like the perfect amount of milk, the perfect consistency, right? It was like something about it that just struck you, as hit, it hit the mark. So I think what Dogen is pointing to is what Katagiri called settling the small self on the big self, right? So that you merge, the great is the big, great and big are the same word it's this complete expression where everything is included in whatever you're doing and in that moment of time. That's the great. So you write great, you type great, you, know, you express fully your being, your large self, your universal self, which includes everybody, everything, all time. All, this, is the, <laughs> this is the great unfolding of Mahayana Zen as we try to practice it and understand it, right? So whether you're you know, serving breakfast in the Zendo or you're driving to work or you're you know, listening to a talk, that sense of totally meeting and merging with to become more than just your small self right, is great. That's the great. I hope that helps. Oh, sorry. Hi. I say,
0: I'm a recovering alcoholic. Uh, so, when I heard a couple minutes ago someone said the word resentment, I kind of went, uh, oh. <laughs> uh-oh. That's a big deal for someone like me. As, you know, an alcoholic, we're, we're essentially addicts. And one of the reasons we get addicted to things is because we're resentful people. Uh, whether you're an addict or not, I think resentment is cool. It basically shuts your life down. It kind of gets you so out of balance. Um, can't focus on what's ahead of you. You're, you're, you're mad at this person or this place or this external thing, um, and you can't focus on what what you talked about earlier with work uh, and house distract from that. Um, so that's something that I personally, I know I have to work on daily. Mm. Uh, if I don't, then I get out of the way. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. I've got Thank questions. you.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, resentment will eat us alive. I think we all know that. We've all experienced it, you know, either as a you know, normal habit of mind that leads to all kinds of other suffering or just in that moment, ah, I really <laughs> I hate this, you know. But the joy that Dogen talks about, you know, this joyful mind, this, this, which is gratitude, really, right? It's a practice of gratitude. I am alive. I was born a human being. It's a rare thing we, it, Buddhism universally teaches how rare it is to be born a human being and have this opportunity, and it's even more rare to encounter the teachings, rarer still to have a sangha to practice with, and teachers you know to practice with. You know we are lucky, <laughs> really lucky, and we can really embrace that. you know some of the pettier stuff drops away, right? And then there's great suffering, huge suffering. We're seeing it everywhere right now. Right? It doesn't mean, oh, yeah, things are great, you know, we're at war, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's not like the world is not sometimes a very difficult, terrible place, but still, you're alive, <laughs> and you're here now. Yeah. OK, one last question. Yes.
0: Um, I was very struck by Manisha's question answer to that, um, I think resentment is something everyone obviously gets from this point. But uh, I've certainly experienced that myself. But I noticed when you were talking about the ways to, uh, some possible responses to that, like obviously there's a lot of like, great practice we can do ourselves in response to that. There's a lot to be gained. But I noticed you didn't mention like the possibility of communicating. Mm-hmm. With, uh, with maybe a person who's become like, the focus or object of our and I was wondering is there a reason for that
1: I think I was focusing more on you know, like in the moment when we're doing Soji, which is where Benicia started, you know like, uh, why are they leaving don't they have 10 minutes, you know or, uh, you know, how come that person laughter you're just, you're just the universe expressing this through you. Right? We're all human beings. We are familiar with this, right? And you were brave enough to bring it forward, so thank you. Um, you know, it's, so in that moment of soji, right? We're here in this community and soji is announced and some people put their shoes on and really like, you know, vamos immediately. Um, and then what that leads to, the state of mind that that leads to, right? This is also a residential community, and, there are, and Manish is a resident, right? And sometimes the residents will communicate with each other. Like, your job this week is to do X, and how come it's not getting done? How come we're not applying ourselves to our household tasks? They have house jobs, you know, which they all sort out for themselves. And if you live in a family, right, it's like, hey, weren't you going to clean the litter box today? <laughs> right? Whatever. You sometimes do have to kind of directly say to someone... Please do this, or I know I am noticing my resentment is growing because I feel like you're not carrying our agreed share of whatever it is that's happening. So, kind, honest speech is also part of our practice. But in the moment of soji, the thing to do is get in line, get a job from the work leader, notice what's coming up. Right? My old friend resentment here, because they're only there were. 10 people at Zazen and only five people are staying, right? Or whatever it is. And do the, just do the work, just do the work. And then if it's something that you need to address with your beloved member of the community, you might do that. Or you might come to a teacher and say, what do I do with this? What do we do with this? Is there something you can do <laughs> to help us? You know, in our practice stuff.
3: One thing that's hard is like being a leader mm. and like, that way of showing up in the world and it's sometimes I feel like it's kind of like we're shaped that way out of play as like people who lead or people who are I don't know I guess you could say a follower and so like it seems like a lot of times like a lot of work falls upon the leader and then sometimes the leader has difficulty delegating to other people the work and it's just like it's kind of a dance and it's like kind of like accepting that thread,
1: but also like releasing that identity of leader. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and there are people who just like, they see something that needs doing and they just do it. And sometimes you let something not get done and hope that the person whose responsibility it is, realizes, right? Or someone else will say, you it's, you know, your turn to take out the compost. You never take out the compost. How come, you know, right? Exactly. right? This is all of our responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm the kind of person who tends to just do things. If I notice that, you know, there are dishes in the sink, I'll do them. You know, I don't, I just do it. I just do a lot of things all the time. That's me. But there are times when it's time to say, Hmm, could you some help. You know? yeah. It's a dance. It is a dance. Thank you all very much for your questions, your comments.